following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. You know, we're going through this really exciting series on the book of Revelation, and I uh, wanted to just jump in this morning, but uh, I wanted to start out by first talking about Revelation talks about knowing the future, and that God loves you so much that he allows us to know the future. He actually paves a way, gives us revelation insights to the future. Now, I don't know about you guys, but um, sometimes we watch a series on Netflix. Anybody do that? Netflix series, okay. In fact, my friend who drives for Uber said he uh, talks to customers, and the way he opens conversations sometimes is, what are you binge watching on Netflix? And that opens the door to a whole conversation. Well, my wife and I, we're watching something on Netflix, a series, but we got to the end of the show the other night, and she couldn't wait for the next series. She had to open up the directory to see the titles of every show to find out what's going to happen with the whole series. And I'm like, hon, that's wrecking it, but she wanted to know the future. Uh, There's something about knowing the future (laughs) that helps set it up a little bit better. Maybe you guys remember the... The, the movie uh, Christmas Carol, you guys ever see that with Scrooge? Scrooge gets taken into the future. And once he sees the future, it changes completely everything about his life. Everything about the way he lives and what he does and why he does it and how he's motivated, everything takes a complete shift once he could see the future. And I think the same is true for us. Imagine if you could see your future. Imagine if you could see All the people that you affected and touched in life, all the people that you blessed, imagine you could see life in the rearview mirror in the future, looking back at all the people you touched, things that changed as a result of you, your life, your love, your service. Imagine what that would be like. I'm convinced that if we could see the future on that level, it would completely change the way we live right now. And that's exactly what Revelation is doing for the church. It's writing the future so we get to see it, so we go... Oh, I get it. So I'm at this point in this sequence. I'm going to shift how I live. I'm going to make the most of my opportunities. I'm going to get in on any kind of opportunity God would have. And that's kind of the story here in Revelation is is that God wants us to know the future, the way things are going to roll out. And the apostle John is in his older age. He's on the island of Patmos, which is off the coast of Turkey. And he's in a prison colony, really. And Jesus appears to him and says, I'm going to just roll out the future in one big sequence here, write it down. So John starts writing down Revelation, and we've been going through the book of Revelation, and this is starting with, the first thing he has to say is not only is he coming back and be ready, he starts with the seven churches, seven churches in Asia Minor or in modern day Turkey. And what's important to know about this, you might be thinking, so why are we focused on churches from 2,000 years ago? The way this is written It was written to seven real churches that really existed 2,000 years ago, but it's also not just talking about them and what they went through. It's talking about all churches today everywhere go through the exact same stuff. The spiritual principles live on. The reality lives on. It's the same for that, but it's also the same for every one of us. When we talk about these churches, there's some stuff in here where you might go, yeah, I think that's kind of like me. And I know I do that. I read through these churches. I'm like, yeah, I think that part's talking to me right there. And then, you know, all through this sequence, you find God commending them for some great things. 
and saying, by the way, we need a correction in this area. And we were just talking about how in our lives, we all have to be open to God's correction. Would you agree with that? How many of you know that God disciplines those he loves? Love. He lo- if he loves you, he wants to correct you and tune you up, and me as well. We have to be open to God's correction. The day that we're not open to God's correction is the day we stop growing, really. That's the day we start regressing. And so in this passage right here, uh, Jesus is pointing out these things that he really appreciates. He's like, I'm watching you, and I see what you're doing, and I am really pleased with certain things. And he tells them, the way you do that is awesome. The way you do that is off the chart. I see the way you're engaging people, you're loving people, that's great. But I gotta tell you about this part. In each church, he lays it out a little bit differently. So the church we're dealing with today, Revelation chapter 2, 18, if you guys wanna open your Bible or your, your phone or your device, however you read your word, um, the next church in Revelation is this church called Thyatira, uh, Thyatira, and um, today we're talking about the consequence, the consequence of compromise, because this church is doing some good stuff, but they've got a serious compromise, and they never address it. They don't even address it, and it goes on and on and on, and I have to tell you this before we start. Some of these other churches in Revelation, we have history uh, from the second and third century of what happened with these churches and they corrected and they, they began to flourish because they, uh, they understood God's correction. This church here, in another hundred years, we don't hear about it. So this church here in this passage didn't heed the warning. This church didn't take the correction. Again, it's not just historical churches. It's all churches today and it's you and me. We're in this passage, guys. We're in these things. So when God's trying to tune us up or correct us, if we shut down and go, no, I'm not changing, then we too are in this category as well. And God disciplines those he loves, so he, he calls us out and he reminds us that there's a consequence to, to compromise. So these guys right here, Thyatira, this particular city is famous for making clothes, specifically purple clothes. Now that might sound weird to you, what's up with purple clothes? But back in the day, everybody wore straight up earth tones. How would you like that, ladies? Straight up earth tones. Earth tones all the time, every day, earth tones. Okay, this town had a way of taking shellfish and turning it into this really deep, rich purple dye poof, and light up these colors that nobody else saw before. And you've heard the term royal blue and royal purple comes from this. These guys were able to take this and make this really rich dye. And everybody everywhere wanted those. If you're going to that town, please bring me back a purple scarf. Go get me something from that town. Get something because this is where they do purple. And they were good at it. And it was a big trade center for purple. In fact, you might have heard in Acts 16, 14, you remember the story of Lydia. You guys ever heard of Lydia in the Bible, book of Acts? Lydia was a really smart businesswoman. And she was in the business of selling purple. So she knew where it was made and how it was done. That's her town. And she would go and she would broker deals all over the place. And when the apostle Paul ran into her, she, you know, it says in Acts 16, 14, one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So here we see this town is on the map. It's where they make this purple. So that's the buzz of the town. We, our town is, you know, Hollywood industry, movies. Towns are known for certain things. Uh, this town was made for production of purple. People came from everywhere to get this stuff. And uh, 
This is the the church in Thyatira. So if you have your Bibles, again, Revelation chapter 2 starts in verse 18. We're going to look at this in sections. And uh, the way this is working is Jesus is addressing the churches. And he's saying to John, write it down and give it to the Give it to the messenger of that church. And this, this letter, you write it down to the messenger of the next church. And all of these are written to the messengers of the churches, which seems to be talking about the leadership of the church, the pastors of the church, to say, this is the climate of the church. This is what's going on. Let the people know, I see this, I love this, but we need to tune this area up. So it says in verse 18, to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. I want to start there, stop there because he's talking about commending them at first. And in general, he's honoring them for a lot of good things. There's a lot of good things they're doing. I'm sure if Jesus was to show up today and give each one of us a report on the way out. He'd say, look, I'm watching you. I've seen you. I've seen what you've been through. I know you had ups and downs. I know you've been through trials. I know you've been through pain. I know you've been through some setbacks, but I've been watching you. And there's some things in your life, I just got to tell you, the way you handle that, awesome. The way you did that, I'm watching you, and you're not quitting, and you're not giving up, and I see you, and I appreciate it, and I'm with you. Don't forget, I'm with you. And this is the, the status report of the church He sees their good deeds, their service and their good deeds. He sees their perseverance, that they're not quitters, and their love and their faith. And he focuses on something here, which is kind of interesting. He says, I see that you're doing more now than you did at first. And that's kind of an interesting thing, because that doesn't come up anywhere else with the other churches. You're doing more now than you used to do. In other words, you're improving and you're gaining some momentum. And when I think about that, I kind of wonder in our own lives, this church started doing good things, but as individuals and as, as believers as a church, as time went on, they started to do better things and greater things, and they started to have an effect on their city in some kind of way of what they were doing. They were improving. I want to ask you this morning, in your faith with God, are you improving or are you maintaining? Because what I find is a lot of times when we jump into the faith at First, we get really excited. How many of you came to know Jesus sometime in your life where you realized who he was at some point in your life and you started to follow Jesus in your life? And it's exciting. And you're like, wow, this is new. This is fresh. This is good. This is a new beginning. He's taken away a heart of stone and he's given me a heart of flesh. Something's happening here. The living God is alive and he's transacting with me. He's doing something in my life and he's, he's changing me. He's, he's taken away my sins. He's taken away burdens and he's taking away fears and shame, and he's putting a new, his spirit in me. He's breathing new life in me. And you're like, this is exciting. And then with that excitement, you can't help it. You go out and you start to do some stuff. You start to share with some people. You start to serve God. You can't help it. There's an overflow effect of what God's doing in your life. It's great. But as time goes on, sometimes we just get a little bit more refined in our life. We get refined maybe in our knowledge, but we're not getting refined in our faith in action. We're sometimes not doing more than we did at first. We're beginning to learn more, maybe know more, understand more. That's great. 
But this church, they're, they're, they're building momentum in their service to God. They're rolling out a sequence where their, their passion isn't stopping, their perseverance isn't stopping. He's telling these guys, you're doing more now uh, than you did at first. And that tells me that our walk, guys, our walk with God, it should be progressive, not regressive. Our walk with Jesus should be progressive, not regressive. Um, Greg Laurie once said that Christianity is like a slippery pole. We're either climbing up or sliding down. You don't just hang out and go, I'm good right here. I'm just going to chill right at this point. I know enough about God, and that's as far as I want to get, and I, I don't want to change my life anymore. I think I'm in a safe zone and kind of hang out like in this, in this weird little zone. Jesus is like, no, you can't stop there. You got to keep coming to follow me. All of us, every day I got to get up, I got to keep following him. You got to keep following him. We got to keep walking with Jesus. And yet sometimes in the faith, we can come, we can understand, we can be excited at first, but over time we can drift into a maintenance mode in our faith and we can get regressive even in our love and our expression and our service for God. The Bible is telling us really in this passage with these guys, hey, you guys are making progress. You're not regressing in your service with God. I would say the same is true for us. Sometimes Christians start to get settled in and settle down. And that's not the heart of God, the call of God. That's not what the apostles did. That's not what the first century church did. And these guys were moving forward that way. Let me ask you a question this morning. What were you doing at first? What were you doing at first? When you first met Jesus, if you're here this morning and you and you understand the power and the love of God through Jesus Christ, and you came to a point where you began to say, you really are Lord, and I'm not. I'm getting off the throne, I'm putting you on, I'm turning, and I'm following you. There was that day in your life, if you know what I'm talking about, and at that point, there's something that happens. There's excitement and change and new beginnings. And it, what were you doing at first? What did your life look like at that time? Because sometimes... It might not be looking the same today as it did back then. And these guys were not regressing. I want to call you out on that just to challenge all of us, myself as well. Uh, I, I think of this myself. This one friend of mine, when I was new in the faith, we used to go up in a car and pray over the valley. We were like, God, you changed us, change everybody, change all those people down there, millions of them, change them all, God. And we'd be up in the car and we'd be praying and we'd be praying. We'd do this like all the time. And we'd be like falling asleep up there. You know, just pray until you fall asleep, you wake up. Where are we? Oh my goodness, we were praying over the city, we fell asleep. I was thinking about that when I read the passage and I'm like, when's the last time I prayed over the city until I fell asleep and woke up? in a car looking at, you know what I mean? And I'm like, yeah, I'm hearing you, Lord. I'm here. That kind of power. What, what were you doing at first in your love life with Jesus that you're not doing now? That's what he's, this is pointing to for us right here. There's a big difference between being busy and being intentional. Jesus isn't calling you to be busy. He's calling you to be intentional. These guys were making progress. They were intentional. Um, so that's important. And uh, their service was building momentum as ours should too. So now Jesus moves on in this passage right here, the next part. He said, those are all the things I salute the church for. The church is making progress. The church is, is doing more now than before. You're loving people. This is all great. And now he switches the gears right here. But what's interesting about this passage is rather than just call out the whole church, he's calling out some people in the church, but he's actually calling out the pastor in the church. He's calling out the leader or the leadership in the church, which is kind of unique to this passage in Revelation. And it goes on and says this in verse 20. It says, nevertheless, 
I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and to eating the food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent her immorality, but she is unwilling, so I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead, then all the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts and minds and will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now, I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned the so-called Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burdens on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. He's saying in the beginning, okay, all that good stuff, but something bad is outweighing the good in the church. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you. When he says you, it's a personal pronoun. He's talking, it sounds like, to the messenger, the leader of the church, the leadership or the pastor is what it sounds like. He's like, the church overall is doing better, but I got to address something with the leader or the leadership. And he says that they are actually putting up with this person or this mindset or this spirit of Jezebel, which we're going to unpack in a minute. But the point is, the church wasn't doing anything about it. False doctrine was bubbling up in the church, wrong belief, things that are not biblical, and the church is like, yeah, we'll just kind of step back and let it go. And Jesus is like, you don't understand. (laughs) Jesus is like, it's not your church, it's my church. How many of you know the church belongs to Jesus? It's his church. And Jesus is like, that's my church, and you're messing it up. And he takes it very personal. And and he goes on, I have this against you. They said, this is what's going on. You got a false doctrine. You got a major compromise in the church. And And he explains it like this. He says, a woman Jezebel calls herself a prophet. Now, when it says Jezebel, we don't know if the lady's name was actually Jezebel in this particular church, or this is symbolic, like Revelation's got a lot of symbols. This is symbolic of Jezebel in the Old Testament, which is speaking of the same mindset, the same heart condition, the same kind of spirit of Jezebel in the Old Testament. Um, in the Old Testament, if you know the story about Jezebel, she almost wrecked the entire nation forever. I mean, this, this lady was pretty, uh, pretty dark. And, and, and what she was doing is she was driven by evil, and she wanted to control. And her desire, her evil desire to control uh, it, it, it was amazing. Israel was the north and the, and the south. They had Israel to the south and Israel to the north and Judah to the south, two different sections of Israel. And in the north, she, she, she kind of found a weak man named Ahab. And a, a spirit of Jezebel cannot exist without a spirit of Ahab, a weak man. And she was able to influence and rule over her husband, who happened to be the king, and as a result, rule over the whole nation. This lady Jezebel, who was from a foreign place with foreign gods and Baal worship, all kinds of whack stuff, came in, found a weak husband, and once she started to rule her husband, she started to rule the whole nation, and she started to turn the entire nation from the worship of God, Israel, to worshiping Baal. And not only that, chasing down and killing prophets. You're like, that's pretty dark. That was pretty evil. And yet that's what she did. And so there's something about her that was not put in check early on. Does that make sense? Nobody wanted to put her in check. 
And a lot of times in life when things are going on, we're like, well, that's just their style or just, you know, just leave them alone. Just, you know, like when people get, you know, we don't want conflict and we don't want to address stuff or maybe, you know, we don't want to cause a disruption. But you got to realize when something is evil, you got to go at it. Family, do you hear me? When something is evil, you got to go at it. You can't look the other way. You can't duck. You can't run. The church was doing that. Ahab did that, Israel did that, and it grew into a monster, and that's what's going on in this church right here. They're not being real, they're not stepping out, they're not addressing, and it's going, growing into this crazy thing. And so she led Israel the wrong way, and this lady in the church, whether her name is Jezebel or she's got the spirit of Jezebel, she's telling the church of Thyatira that she is a prophet, and she hears directly from God, and she's starting to claim these things that they never heard of before that are not in the Bible. And she's saying these things and they're starting to believe her and they're letting her teach everybody some of this stuff. And the whole church is going the wrong way and the leadership's kind of just sitting back, letting it happen. And that's what's going on in this passage right here. She claims she speaks from God. Verse 24 says what it is. The focus is on the so-called deep secrets of Satan. The so-called deep secrets of Satan. Uh, Jesus is saying this, given this revelation to John, and Jesus is using the words, the so-called deep secrets of Satan. And the reason Jesus is saying that, because Jesus is saying, I'm not calling them the deep secrets of Satan. That's the so-called, that's what they're calling them. Jezebel's calling them the so-called deep secrets, and that's what she's teaching to the people. That's not what I call them, Jesus would say. That's not in the word of God that has not been part of his revelation. But she claims she has learned the deep secrets. She has claimed that she's got in on some level of kind of a spiritual thing that's not in the Bible. It's not in the word of God. The spirit of God never authored it. The word of God doesn't have it written. And yet she understands this unknown hidden thing, the so-called deep secrets, and she's got greater discernment than others. And now she's presenting something that's never been presented before. And it's not in the Bible. And she says that God's given her this revelation. Now, you got to remember, when it comes to so-called deep secrets, uh, they have wrecked many along the way. So-called new revelation, something no one's ever heard of before. I got a new insight. I got a new angle. You know, the Book of Mormon pops up in the 1800s, starts a brand new faith, adds a whole other Book of Mormon to it, and has taken hundreds of thousands away from the purity of God's revelation. Um, because there's new revelation popping up recently. Uh, Jehovah Witnesses, just in this last century, say, oh, we realized all the churches are wrong. We've got it right. Jesus is now Michael the Archangel. He's not God anymore. And they've got the new, the new revelation. And they start handing out this new, and you gotta go, wait a minute, that revelation's not been anywhere practiced in the church for 2,000 years it's not in the Bible, it's not accurate, it's not from the Spirit, and yet somebody coming up with a new thing. Well, that's what's going on here. There's a new truth being told. Got to remember the Garden of Eden. Remember the story of the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden. God tells them the truth about everything in the garden. This is good, I made this for you, I love you guys, get the animals, get this, eat from all the fruit of the trees, do anything you want, this is going to be great. There's one over there. Don't eat from it, really bad from you, it's gonna wreck things, don't touch that tree. But I told you the truth about the garden. And the first thing the devil does is comes along and he says, wait a second, there's some deeper secrets here. 
There's some secret secrets that God didn't tell you. There's some deeper secrets that you guys don't know about, but I can let you in on another level of things. And the first thing he said is, did God really mean that? Haha, there's a hidden meaning. God didn't really mean that. Let me tell you what God really meant by this. And then he goes on to suggest, surely there's some hidden knowledge that God didn't want you to know. There's, there's hidden knowledge. There's, there's deeper revelation here. God didn't want you to be enlightened to the deeper things because God knows you would be like him. And so these so-called deep secrets and hidden knowledge are starting to be presented. And Adam and Eve are going, I wonder if it's true. I wonder if it's true. Um, and so they were tempted and they fell and the compromise had consequence. They exchanged, the Bible uses this term, they exchanged the truth for a lie. And every time we compromise, that's what we're doing. We're exchanging God's truth for a lie. Something we believe, big things, small things, doesn't matter. We're exchanging a truth for a lie, and that's what these guys did. And the only thing they ended up being enlightened about was the nature of their new condition now that they were wrecked by sin. They didn't get in on anything good. And yet the devil's like, I know something you don't know. And God's like, and they should have said, if we needed to know it, God would have told us. If we needed to know it, God would have told us. I don't want to hear what you have to say. You don't have any deep secret for me. The enemy does not have some so-called deep secret for you. There is nothing to be revealed that God hasn't revealed. How many of you know the Bible says that God's given us everything we need for life and godliness? How many of you know that you've got, you've got God's revelation? Um, you've got 66 books, 40 authors, written over 1,500 years on three different continents, all pointing to the same truth and revelation, the true source. And not only that, that God, when you become a follower of Jesus, puts his Holy Spirit in you to discern truth, to comfort you, to guide you, to counsel you, to show you, to reveal to you what is right and what is wrong. And it will always line up with this book. And yet Jezebel's coming along and saying, just put that aside for a second. I got some stuff you need to know about. And I'm hearing directly from God and I know about some so-called deep secrets, and let, you, let me let you in on it. And so she calls the leadership stepping out of the way in the church, or the pastor, or the, or the leadership team, and all of a sudden, things are being taken over in a way that's starting to get really dark, and, and, and Jesus is showing up and said, you know what, that's not some so-called deep secret, that's flat-out demonic. And she's saying, no, it's prophetic. I'm giving you prophecy, church. And Jesus is like, no, you're not. That's demonic. It's a pretty big deal what's going on right here. So this is important to know. Um, Jezebel, she's at this prophet status, claims she has the deep secrets, claims she speaks to God. And sadly, some, not all, some people in the church believe her and she's being allowed to teach. So there's a group in the church going, no, we're fully buying into this thing. And other people in the church are like, no, I don't, I don't, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound like the Bible to me. It doesn't sound like the word of God when I check things. She's like, don't worry, it's new revelation. And some are buying it and some are not buying it. And that's what's going on in the context of this story. So if you're a note taker, I wanna encourage you to write some important things down today that not only apply to those churches, apply to the church at large today, apply to your life personally as well. And the first one is this, beware of hidden knowledge and so-called deep secrets. Beware of hidden knowledge and so-called deep secrets. Things no one heard of before. Things that were not in 2,000 years of Christianity. Off the grid, you know, our faith is built on the shoulders of giants, the Christian faith. The apostles, the prophets, you know, we've got revelation, we've got sound doctrine because we've got a crazy good foundation, it's amazing. And then all of a sudden, somebody pulling something out of left field 
you got to be really careful because that's how cults get started and all kinds of crazy stuff happens. Beware of hidden knowledge and so-called deep secrets. That's, that's really important because that will keep you in a sound place of understanding God's will and God's ways and God's revelation. But if you start getting off going, well, maybe God held this from me. Or maybe there's a better insight over here than what God has. God's the only all-knowing one. Do you guys agree with that? He's the only all-knowing one. There are other spiritual elements and forces out there. God is the only creator. He's the only all-knowing one. He's the only all-powerful one. And he's the only omnipresent one. He's the only one. So it's his revelation that's the true revelation. And there's all kinds of versions and slices of, uh, of you know, compromise and counterfeits out there. And so we can't ever think, well, maybe God didn't tell me everything. Maybe there's another way out there because that's, we start going down the same road. Um, second point this morning is this. For knowledge on all things spiritual, check the word. For knowledge on all things spiritual, any spiritual perspective insight you want at all. This, is, this book's not going to tell you how to split an atom. If you want to learn how to split atoms, you go to school to learn how to split atoms. If you want to learn microbiology and stuff, you go to school. But if you want to know anything spiritual ever in the history of humanity that was or is or is to come, this is the source book. It's not one of them. It is the exclusive and the absolute true source book. And so uh, for knowledge on all things spiritual, check the word, because the church of Thyatira, some were going, that doesn't sound like what we learned in the word. And others are like, it doesn't matter. Let's go. And then this is what's going on. You got half the church going one way, half going the other way. Um, third point is this. Learn how to test the spirits. Everybody say, test the spirits. The Bible tells you that you're supposed to test the spirits. Learn how to test the spirits. Learn how to find out the authenticity, the legitimacy of somebody who makes a claim like that but is, isn't legit at all. You've got to learn how to do that. And, and this came up a lot in the early church. Paul was reminding people all the time, be careful, there's people masquerading around and they're saying they're apostles, but they're not. So this kind of thing was, was happening. Um, you know, people popping in, yeah, I'm a prophet, and I got this authority, and it's like they're saying things, and you're like, you know, is it true? Is it not true? I'm not sure. You, you got to learn how to test the spirits. Test the spirits. Um, not all who say they are in Christ are in Christ. People might say they're in Christ. Does not mean they're really in Christ? Are they following the word? If they're not, it's not the spirit of God. It's not the Holy Spirit in them compelling them. It's another spirit. Does that make sense? And that's how you test the spirits because the Holy Spirit doesn't contradict himself. Other spirits will always contradict God. They might even say a couple of things God says like the devil did. How many of you know the devil quoted scripture? The devil quoted scripture. He quoted scripture, but if you heard the heart behind what he was saying, you're like, that's not the spirit of God, but he's quoting scripture. So you've got to beware, not all who say they're in Christ are in Christ. I love this passage. We have it for the screen up here. 1 John 4 says this, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. You've got to test them. You, just because somebody says something, it doesn't mean they are, especially with a place of spiritual authority. You got to know the word, check the word, pray, you know, you got to discern through this stuff, and that's all of our jobs. So the big thing going on here is not only is this lady Jezebel going sideways and taking a big part of the church, but the leadership isn't doing what the leadership's supposed to do, and God's got an issue with that. The pastor wasn't doing his job in this church. The pastor and the leadership wasn't doing their job. 
They were tolerating Jezebel and her false doctrine, and they're like, yeah, whatever, I guess, you know, there's a place for everybody. Go ahead, just take the mic. Just go ahead, if that's what you feel, if that's your view. Uh, and it's not sound doctrine. And Jesus is like, what's happened? That's my church. My church is getting hijacked, Jesus says. Those are my people. Who's messing them up? Pastor's like, well, you know, we just kind of just let everybody kind of do what they think, you know, and stay out of the way. And Jesus is like, no, you go do that somewhere else. Don't do that with my church. And so he takes that personally. Uh, Titus 3.10 says this, talking to pastoral pastors and leadership teams. If someone's divisive, if someone's off, if somebody is relentless in trying to have their way in the church with something that is not scriptural, this is what it says. It says you warn them once, and then you warn them twice, and then you have nothing to do with them. And you're like, well, pastor, isn't that a little harsh? No, not when it's wrecking God's church. You know, there's a place in the world for everybody to have every expression, but the church has got to be like, don't wreck the church. I'm not talking, all of us are sinners that need a savior. We're all working it out and God's conforming us. We're all on this journey together in this community of people who are learning how to follow Jesus. But when somebody is trying to hijack the church intentionally and no one's doing anything about it, the Bible says, no, you warn them and say, you know what, that's not even God's word and you can't mess people up. Don't mess God's people up. And then you warn them again. And if they keep doing it, you say, Look, you, you, you can't share anything here because you're, you're wrecking things. And so that's really important. But the, the next point I just want to bring out, speaking of the pastors not doing their job in this, in this passage, I want to speak to you about faith on your job. Your faith on your job. Because a lot of this passage, too, has to do with this city and all the people working there. And they're going to the church and they're working in the city just like we are. We all work in this city and we go to church in this city just like they did. And there were some things about the job, there were some things about their culture that was messing with them. Not all of them, some of them. But culture has an influence on us. We live in a culture where there are a lot of things are acceptable, a lot of things happen and it kind of has pressures and weights on us. The things in our culture has kind of pressures and and weights and peer pressures. In this particular culture, it wasn't like our town, which is kind of Hollywood and industry and, and things like that. Their town was trade unions. They literally had trade unions. They've done, um, you know, like you've got a Teamsters union and all kinds of unions here. Um, they've excavated and found uh, plaques and uh, coins and all kinds of things that had to do with the unions over there who made all this clothes and colored everything purple. It was like a center of the whole activity of the world, and they organized their labor. So here's the deal. Just like a trade union here, you would have to pay dues, right, to be in your union. Isn't it interesting? 2,000 years ago, you had to pay dues to be in your union, 2,000 years ago. How many of you guys know there's nothing new under the sun? It's crazy. It's 2,000 years, they had unions, organized labor. Yes, they did. And you had to pay dues to be in your union. And they controlled it to kind of get better wages, but everyone had to join it, and this is the way it works. So you had to pay your dues. But in this culture, your dues included spiritual things too. It wasn't just paying your dues. It was spiritual things as well as part of being part of this union or this guild. And in this part of the world, Ephesus as well, and now over here in this church, it required actually sexual acts. They had these temples, and you had to go up into the temple, and they had male and female prostitutes, 
and you had to go do things as part of appeasing the gods on behalf of your union requirements. Is that crazy or what? That's crazy. They had to do that, and they also had to make a sacrifice to the gods, and then there was meat that there was sacrificed, and then they would sit and they would eat the meat. Like, all right, we just made a big barbecue for the false god of this, and they'd all sit down and have like a barbecue. The problem is this. The people in the church are serving the one true living God, and yet they're working in a city. And the city's like, the only way you're working is paying your dues. And some of them are like, yeah, I'm not paying those kind of dues. And they're like, yeah, you are. And they're like, no, you're not. If you're not doing it this way, and there's this tension. Like, wait a minute, you guys want me to do this. I got all the pressure from the culture, but I follow God. He wants me to do something else. And what are you going to do? And the church of Thyatira is realizing, that's not legit. We can't do that anymore. Serve the Lord your God only. No false gods. That's, you know, early understanding God 101. No other gods. And so they're like, I can't really do this. So there's a pressure now. Are you going to be in the union or not? There's a pressure. You're going to keep your job or not. What's going to happen if you got to do these spiritual things? You know you have a conviction is wrong. And yet they're saying you need to. That was a very real reality for a good portion of the population in the church who worked in these unions. For these guys, Jezebel is saying, I got revelation from God. I'm a prophet. God understands where we live. God's fine with all of it. Go up to the temple, do your thing, make the sacrifice, and enjoy your carne asada when you're done. (laughs) That's it. It's all good. It's all fine. She's saying it's fine, it's prophetic, and Jesus is saying, no way, that's demonic. She's saying, no, prophetically, God showed me, I know the so-called deep secrets, and this is, a, this is fine, don't worry about it, and Jesus is like, no way, my people are getting ripped off, and so here's the tension in this passage right here. So it goes on, it goes on in verse 26, but before it does, I want to ask you, in your job, you too, every day, may be faced with challenges in the workplace. Uh, Every workplace has a culture. Uh, All cities have cultures. Workplaces have culture. And even workplaces, they talk about the culture here. We try to do this, the culture, the culture. It's It's kind of a pop phrase these days. But your culture, sometimes if you're in sales, there's pressure. You need to do this. Or if you're in, you know, medical, maybe they want you to uh, use more of this. I don't know. But there's all kinds of pressures on people in the workplace because your workplace has a culture to it and sometimes companies may want us to do something that we know is off has anybody had any experience with that ever in the history of their employment okay so sometimes for the sake of money for the sake of money or making more of it they may ask you to bend or modify or do something that you're going yeah i don't know that doesn't really sound right Um, we have a choice at that point when we're working in a place like that. Christy and I were talking to um, some some people a while ago who were leading a ministry, and they talked about people in Hollywood um, who take on scenes that, that are really messed up and are in the church. And what they said is, well, if you want to do it, just go ahead and do it, whatever the scene is. And when you're done, we'll be here to meet you and just pray with you. And we were thinking, what? <laughs> like, just go ahead and do it? Yeah, just go ahead, because they're going to do it anyway. And, you know, that's what they do. That's what the town requires. I mean, it's Hollywood. And so to make a living in Hollywood, you just got to do what they, they want you to do. And then, you know, we'll, we'll be here to counsel you later after, you know, the, the guilt or the shame. or the, and, I'm, 
And Christy and I had a long conversation after that going, you can't, you can't say that to people when they know it's wrong and that's why they're coming to you in the first place and they got a pretty much a God-given conviction and they know something they're being asked for. You can't endorse and tell them go for it anyway. And that, if we do something like that, guys, we're no different than Thyatira right here. Knowing something's wrong and doing it anyway. And maybe in your workplace, there's some challenges that way where you're like, yeah, I'm not supposed to do it. You got the choice as a believer, as a Christ follower, where you're going to go, I'm going to do it anyway because of the pressure of the culture just like they did. Or are you going to go, you know what? No, God's going to honor and bless me if I take this path. And I promise you, he will. He will bless you. There's consequence for compromise. There always was. There always will be. There's consequence also for honoring God. And there are always good ones. Bible says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen their children begging for bread. You take the high road, you go God's way, God's on your side, he's got you covered. But uh, I just wanna encourage you, uh, we gotta do that. So the fourth point this morning is this, don't let your job cause you to compromise. Don't let your job cause you to compromise. If they ask something of you, you want you to do this, and you know, if it's off and you know it's wrong, you gotta say, you know what, with all due respect, I hear you. But I got these convictions spiritually, and to me, that's, that's off. And I know you don't maybe appreciate that or maybe don't agree. I, I understand. We can disagree, but that's really not something I could do. And then you step up into inopportunity, really. Um, <clears throat> don't want to compromise your faith, your integrity, your character. You don't want to compromise that for a job. You don't want to do that. So it moves on in verse 26 as it closes up here, and it says this. And this would be great if the worship team comes up. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end... I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. I will also give, the one, give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit it says to the churches. He's saying this, guys, in summary. Hear what the Spirit of God's saying to the churches. And what the Spirit is saying is compromise has consequences. And... He's saying, don't compromise with sin. Don't make excuses for sin. Sometimes we can be our own worst enemy, justifying and making excuses for why we do what we do. Don't make excuses. Don't say everyone else is doing it. How many of you guys know wrong is wrong even if everybody's doing it? And right is right even if nobody's doing it. So just because the population and the culture and the way we sway and what we do through this generation or that, it doesn't make things wrong into right or right into wrong. God is the one who determines right and wrong. We follow his way, his will. That's where the blessing is. That's where the life is. And if this comes up, don't be passive. Address it. The last point is this. Avoid sloppy agape. Avoid sloppy agape. Agape is a term for the Christian community to walk in love, to walk in God's ways. We are called to this special kind of lifestyle that Jesus says, follow me. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Walk in this kind of love. Walk your life out this way. But we don't want to be sloppy with that. We don't want to be sloppy with our lifestyle. So avoid sloppy agape. And this simply concludes that if you, even though we're all None of us are perfect and we fall short. If you're aiming to honor God with your life, if you're aiming to follow Jesus and you're aiming to recognize compromise and go, you know, that's compromise. I got to throw that off. And maybe it wasn't compromise three years ago, but at this point in your life, you're like, yeah, that's compromise. I got to throw that off. When you start throwing off compromise, God's going to honor you and God's going to bless you. God's going to reward you. And ultimately, there's this eternal reward. It's been said that life is too short and eternity is too long 
to not take God serious on this stuff. Eternity is so long, and God's like, I got the best, unlimited, unending future for you. But, but don't get caught up in compromise and stay there like some of these people did. I just want to close in prayer and ask God to seal some of these things in our heart. Mighty God, we, we thank you. We love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of it. And Lord, I, I believe just when I read this passage, I get convicted in the area of some of the things we did at first. Are we doing more now? Not to be busy, but to be intentional in some of those early passions of, our, of, of just being in love with you and the, and the new relationship with you. Um, Lord, I just pray, God, that you would stir us all to that, to that place, Lord God, that our honeymoon with you would never be over when the living God engages his people, uh, that, Lord, we would just wake up to your love, the power, your present reality, and, Lord, uh, engage you, engage the world around us uh, with excitement in all that you have for us. Lord, I believe today you're calling some back to that first love, to that rededication to a faith that was an earlier faith that was stronger. And you want to call us back to that foundation in you so we can launch ahead today. I believe God's moving on some hearts this morning in that area. And there's also some this morning that um, maybe there's areas of compromise that you're realizing, you know, yeah, that really wasn't compromise years ago, but where I am now and where God's calling me, it is compromise. And I want to throw it off because I don't want to make excuses for compromise. I want to honor God this morning. I just want to ask if any of those categories of you, if you would stand to your feet, I'm one standing myself this morning. I want to agree with you in prayer. If God's encouraging you to call, calling you back to a, to an earlier faith and a a time where you're more passionate, I want you to stand to your feet. I just, well, we're going to agree in prayer. No one's embarrassed this morning. No one's even looking at you. This is doing business with God. And if you're, if you're also in the, in the camp where you're you're thinking, yeah, some compromise, uh, it's got to go. You're calling me higher, God. It doesn't work anymore. Life's too short. It doesn't work. That's you stand this morning as well. Mighty God, we just ask. We come before you, and we just ask, God, that you would fan us into flame, uh, just like the early days when we began to know about you, understand you, respect you. I pray, God, you would fan us into flame, God, where we would be more passionate now than we were before. We ask you for fresh wind and fresh fire and a fresh filling of your spirit. Lord, I pray for the areas of compromise that need to go this morning. Uh, we acknowledge those. You see them all anyway. And you don't judge us for it. You just say, turn and follow me. It's time. When we were a child, we acted like a child, but now we're growing up. You're calling us out, calling us to bigger and better things. So Lord, we just want to turn from those things and walk in your ways. Also, I just want to ask if anyone this morning hasn't had a day in their life where they've actually asked Jesus to come in and be the Lord of your life, I want you to stand as well this morning. Is there anybody who needs to, today's the day where he's calling you out. I want you to stand up this morning. I want to agree with you in prayer because it's the greatest day of your life. Anybody this morning? Amen. We got our believers meeting then this morning. That's great. So mighty God, we love you. We praise you. Seal these things. Give us fire. Give us fresh wind. Help us overcome the compromises. We don't want to make excuses anymore. We want to run our race to win. We want to live in a way that matters, God. We don't want to be busy. We want to be, uh, Lord, about your business in, in ways that, Lord, matter. We want to live our lives in a way that's going to matter in 50 years. Give us a a shot of our future, God. Give us all a scene, a picture of our future, of what life looks like for us in 10, 20, 30 years. Show us, God. Give us that revelation this morning of what our life looks like in 30 years from now. 
so that we can be far more intentional than we've ever been in living with purpose. We love you. We thank you. We ask these in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Amen, guys. Our prayer team is going to come up if you need prayer for anything, any need, burden, request you have. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.